Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you could take out your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as we continue our sermon series to the ends of the earth. Uh, we'll be reading from verses 13 through 52, quite a few verses today. So I'll try to make this quick. So if you don't have to touch a clock on us today. So we'll make this quick, all right? Acts 13, verses 13 through 52. And it reads, Paul and his companions set, um, set sail from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Persia and, and reached Poseidon Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, Fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt and led them out, out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about, took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about them. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all of my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or, or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead, and he prepared for many days to those he appeared to the, uh, for many days to those who came up from him, came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. 
And we are ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us. Their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. As to his rising from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in, our generation, in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sin is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything they could not be justified through the law of Moses. So beware that it is said that, that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your day, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving the, 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 leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, most of the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God was be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole, the whole region. But the Jews, inciting the, the, the prominent uh, God-fearing women and, and women and the leading men in the, of the city, they steered up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off of their feet against them and went to Iconum, and the, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, there are so many words we can say about you, but yet we would never have enough tongues to give you all the praises that you deserve. Lord, as we take this time to dive into your word, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us. Reveal how you have been unfolding your truths before us slowly as we have learned more and more about you, that you would illuminate your word and show us how the story that you set forth since the beginning is a part of the story that we get to now partake in. Father, I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would be with your people here that we would see you as beautiful, as we would see you as holy, we would see you as worthy of all of our worship. And that we would be people who leave this place like the Gentiles, declaring the goodness of your name to all in our region. 
So Lord, raise us up to be missionaries for your glory and be a king, a people, a priesthood for your purposes here on earth. See your son Jesus, now we pray. Amen. Our sermon today is called When His Story Invades Our Story. Uh, earlier this week, me and Justin took a trip down to Hartsville, I guess up, down. We went to Hartsville, uh, and we went down there just to pray, spend some time together fellowshipping, but also um, to dream what would it look like for the gospel to go to a place like this that is often overlooked and not seen as a big, uh, a big stepping stone in our world. Um, we started praying, Lord, what would it look like to plant a church like down here in the next five years, if not us? to become, come around somebody who plant a church down here. And I, I tell you that story to start it off because family, I want to invite you into this dreaming of the future. You see our church and you might say, well, it's, we're so few. But that doesn't mean God can't do much with our few for his glory through the rest of our state and city. So we just started dreaming. We said, let's go down there, dream, see how do people view the church, how do they view the gospel, and see what the Lord may be doing here. We went, and we went to a restaurant called The Rooster, and um, me and Justin were just sitting there talking. I said, this is how you get to find out how people view the church. You start asking questions. First person we asked, it was a young lady named Skye. We said, hey, tell us your experience with the church here. Uh, to at least my surprise, she didn't start off with the church, but she started off with her story. She was a pastor's kid who grew up um, in a pretty legalistic uh, church, as she herself said, and now she is deconstructed from the faith. Because of many of the teachings that she heard growing up, she felt that Jesus wanted nothing to do with her, and she obviously wanted nothing to do with this Jesus because she can't trust the message that was taught. She didn't tell us her view of the church. First, she started with her view of her story. And her story, interesting enough, was not just a story of her life, but it was a story that involved her parents and how those stories overlapped. Family, if you not, don't realize it, we all have a story, but our stories are not in isolation. A lot of our stories actually start outside of us. Now, I want to be fair to this family. I don't know her upbringing. I don't know the church she came from. We didn't ask that many details. But we could see how the overlapping of their story and her story collided. And now she had wants nothing to do with Jesus. If I ask you today, what is your story? How would you respond? Maybe you would start off about where you were born and raised, your parents. But I want you to realize your story is not your story alone, but your story actually starts before you. It starts with your parents' story. And however they experience life, it impacted how your story now plays out and impacts probably how your story will lead into the other stories of others around you. But their story also did not start with them. Their story started with your grandparents. And their grandparents, however they experienced life, also affected how your parents experienced life, which also experienced now how you experience life, which means this is how you're going to experience others and interact with others. Our stories are not in silos, are not in isolation. And not only do our stories not just have to do with them, but it also has to do with those around us. Many of us will experience different lives and different stories that will collide with our story and will shape how we view the world. 
See, God created us this way to have these stories that overlap, intersect, run into each other, but it's also because he's pointing to a greater story, a story that started before you and I even existed. A story from the very foundation of creation and a story he is playing out for eternity for it unfolding in front of us. That is the story that we're diving in today as Paul goes to the synagogue and preach to them. I want to tell you the story. And this is what it looks like when God's story invades our story and how we should respond at the end. <clears throat> but it's interesting, before we even dive into this story that Paul plays, uh, tells the synagogue, we start off with a part of Paul's story. In verse 13, we see Paul and his companions set sail from Paphias and came to Persia and Paphilidium. But then there's this one little piece of the sentence that says, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading that too quickly, you'll think, okay, so John went home. But actually, in the Greek, there is this, it's almost like the relation broke, and John deserted and abandoned them and went back home with his tail between his his legs. We actually see how deeply this affected Paul, because in Acts chapter 15, which you'll hear in the next few weeks, verse 37 through 38, We see Barnabas and Paul get into an argument because of how John left. Look at how this plays out. It says, Barnabas wanted to take along John, who is called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take take along this man who had deserted them in Paphilia and had not gone with them to the work. Before we even dive into the redemptive aspects of the story that God is playing out, we must start off with the fact that Paul's story itself was impacted by somebody else. See, the way John left him and Barnabas when they got here, it hurt him so deeply that later on Paul wanted nothing to do with this brother. And we might skip past that, but you understand that the same thing has happened to people like you and I. In our story, people have failed us and made us feel like we want nothing to do with them. You see, in all of our stories, we can count for the times that people have failed us, people have hurt us, tragedies have happened at the hands of other people. And let me give you the freedom to say it's okay to feel that. It's okay to be upset about these things. It is okay to acknowledge that hurt. Paul acknowledges this hurt. Now we praise God because this has a redemptive story at the end, but we have to pause to say in Paul's story that happened and he was hurt by it and we can, we can, we can uh, attest that these same things have happened to us. We have experienced failures by the hands of other people. We have failed others. Some of us have experienced terrible tragedies at the hands of others. But see, the story here, even though we can admit Paul experienced this, the story doesn't stop here. And when Paul goes to Antioch, where he was going to go declare the gospel, his story doesn't stop there either. He didn't take time to highlight the pains he experienced, but he pointed to a story that was greater than his. Let's continue on in verses 14 through 16. It says, they continued their journey from Persia and and reached reached Poseidon Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading of the law of the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, 
You can speak. This is a common practice whenever a Pharisee or a scribe from another town would come to your synagogue. If you are the religious leader and you recognize that is a Pharisee, that is somebody who teaches the law, you would allow them to speak and encourage you in some form. But look how Paul decides to take this moment, to capitalize on it. Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. That two-parted response right there shows us that it wasn't just the Israelites that was in the synagogue, but it was also those who were considered Gentiles, who were not Israel, who was not Jewish by birth, but they were interested to hear the teachings of our God. Paul stood up and said, the God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put, them, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land as an inheritance. They all took, this all took about 450 years after this, he gave them judges until, the, until Samuel the prophet. What Paul is doing right here is he's setting the table to say, I'm going to tell you a little bit of redemptive history. In the beginning, God. God created, God made a promise. He made a promise to Noah and then to Abraham. And he said, I would choose these people and make them a blessing to all lands. And then it follows through. He says, now in Exodus, y'all were in slavery but he took care of you. And then from there, he delivered you from slavery, took you in the wilderness for 40 years, and now we got Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, and then he delivered you to a promised land through Joshua's hands, and from there, he gave you judges until the day of Samuel. He's giving them a quick little overview of redemptive history because he's showing, y'all know Y'all sitting here listening, uh, hearing us read the law, but let me tell you who the law and all this is really about. God in the beginning, God with his people, God caring for his people, God carrying his people through. This story that's unfolding in front of us is the story of God. Not you, Israel. Not you, God fears, but this is the story of God. <clears throat> And then what did they do when he's taking care of them and he gave them judges until the prophet Samuel, until Samuel the prophet, then they asked for a king. Asked who? God. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. So here's, here's Paul setting up the story, saying, Israel, y'all come here every week, and I'm telling you, the story y'all look into is the story of God play out in front of you. From Genesis to Judges, it was God. From 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, it was God. And now the one who made all these promises, the one who continued to show up, from this man's descendants, from David's descendants, the same one who promised that he would give them a king, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Paul is trying to set this story up saying, hey, don't worry about your story. Let me tell you about his story because his story has promises that are associated to you. For everybody who's listening, his story has something that got to, he has something to offer through his story. He has something to promise. And his story has been playing out since the very beginning. And now let me tell you about the one who plays out his story and now you get to become a part 
of his story. Paul is setting them up saying, y'all seen the old days. Y'all know the Torah. You know how God has been faithful. And now I stand here declaring that God is still faithful. And how do we know he's faithful? Through his son, Jesus. Churches, I, Paul is declaring that to them. I'm declaring the same thing to you, that the same story that they were listening to is the same story we not to get to be a part of. And his story has now become a part of our story. And if we profess him as our king, we are a part of that promise. We, we now receive what he has played, put out. And he had this plan since the very beginning. Paul writes in a church, to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. He says, for he chose in him before the foundation of the world to be holy. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Don't you understand, since the very beginning, God had a plan for your life. He had promises that he was setting forth since eternity past, and these are promises that will lay out till eternity present. And when before, until the day we're before him, you have been chosen. You have a purpose. And despite how other stories might have felt, made you feel like you didn't have a purpose, that your life was worthless, no, he had a purpose, and it was a part of his plan to bring you into his story, or better yet, his foe, to make you one of his own. Children, children of light, to make us holy and perfect, blameless, this is the story that Paul is starting to unfold to the Israelites, and this is the story I'm trying to unfold to you, us who have experienced many tragedies, us who have experienced many sinful moments, us who were separated from a holy God. God has such a big story that he wanted you and I in it. It's crazy to think that tragedy has a sense of redemption attached to it. That how other stories have played into our stories and made us feel hopeless, that there is one who's coming to give us hope. But only believers, Bible-believing Christians can believe such a thing. Listen to these words from a Rosaria Butterfield from the gospel came with the, comes with the house key. She said, who else but Bible-believing Christians can make redemptive sense out of tragedy? Who can see hope in the promises of God when the real lived circumstances look dire? Who else knows that sin that will undo me is my own, not my neighbor's? No matter how big my neighbor's sins appear, who else can believe this but other Bible-believing Christians? She was trying to say that we are people who know how to make tragedy redemptive. We are people who see our sins as a burden for us to carry before a plate of be people who believe we can give it over to someone greater than us. And this is what Paul is trying to help the Israelites see. That story that's been playing out. After all your failings, after all of your misfortunes, after all of your shortcomings, that story that has been played out, that's been promised since the very beginning from our faithful God is now taking place and we get to be a part of it. 
So Paul, as he tells the church, them this, he says, before his coming to public attention, John had previously claimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. They understood who, who John was because his name was so big at this time that they were recognized this was the man that was in the wilderness, ain't it? Declaring that there's one that we can trust in, ain't it? This is the one who said, come and repent and believe that the kingdom of God is coming near. And he said, yeah, remember him? Well, he's the one that came to tell you about the one we're telling you about now. He's the forerunner to, to, to set the tone for what we're trying to tell you right now. And it says, now as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one. The one is coming after me. And I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. So after... Paul has declared these things before the Israelites and those who he considered God-fearing are the Gentiles who's in the temple. He stood up, he says, brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, Israel, and those among you who fear God, it is to us the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. They have found no grounds for the death sentence. They asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a, in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. This is what he said. Now he said, remember the one y'all didn't believe, the one y'all didn't trust, the one who came testifying all through Galilee and all these other surrounding cities of Jerusalem? Yeah, we're telling you about him. That, that's the one y'all hated so much that y'all wanted him in the grave, yet he defeated the grave. Y'all didn't want anything to do with him. Who, how dare this man say he is the son of God? Y'all rejected his teaching, yet hit you by you rejecting his teaching, God could intervene. And because he intervened, he now intervenes for us. See, but God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God, the same one who's been faithful since the beginning. God, the same one who's been faithful to you all throughout your history. God has fulfilled this for us. Their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And Paul was trying to let them know, listen, the reason he did this is so that the story of redemption he's been promising since the beginning now is becoming fulfilled. And guess what? That story is fulfilled not just for God's namesake, but for our sake. See, God inv invades our life. He comes into the brokenness of our life, and his story of redemption comes in, and it redeems our story. It gives our story hope. It gives us our tragedies a purpose. It gives us life that this world cannot offer. That's why in verse 39, he says, everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you cannot be justified from through the law of Moses. In other words, y'all couldn't do anything about it, but because of your own failures, he did something about it. Because of his own love for you, despite your failures, he did something about you. I want you to understand, you're not able to fix the past issues in your life. 
all those things that happen in your story, you're not able to change it. You are unable to conquer the sins that you've committed by your own strength, no matter how much you try. No matter how much you may hurt, hate those who hurt you, that does not change anything in your story. But there is one who does. There is one who wasn't surprised by anything that happened in your life. He wasn't surprised when your father wasn't present. He wasn't surprised when those people hurt you. He wasn't surprised. Actually, he was playing it out so he could show you how great he actually is. He was allowing you to feel this pain if you are his he, he's, he wasn't surprised by any of this. No, he did all this so that you could be a part of his redemptive story, that he can invade your life. Or I think it's better yet put how Jeremiah put it when he was spoken to Israel, given this vision by God. In Jeremiah chapter 18, he says, this is the words that came to Jer Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. And there I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. The words of the Lord came to me, house of Israel, or we can just say church. Can I not treat you as the potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. It says house of Israel here, but you could put your name there. Just how God is, the potter is masterfully in control of the clay that is before him. He is masterfully in control of your life and of your story. See, church, our stories all have tragedies and our stories all have flaws and our stories all make us feel unworthy, unlovable. And if you, if you don't feel that way, self-righteous. Don't worry, your story plays in that too. But God is the one who wants to redeem our story, change our story, and bring us to a place where our story will have glory. And everyone will respond to what he wants us to do. He, everyone will respond to what he wants to do in our life. Sadly, not everyone will respond and believe that he trusts, that we can trust him and believe him. Not everyone will believe in such a way, but some will scoff, laugh, call it foolish. Listen to what Paul says as we continue on in verses 40 through 45. It says, so beware, what is it said to the, in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, vanish and marvel, I mean, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will, not, you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters follow, the following, um, following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue on in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting. 
Right here, we see two different responses. Those who heard, they believed, they were like, man, this story is amazing. I want my life to be a part of that story. And those who saw it and was like, that's, that's foolish. That's idiotic. Who could believe such a thing? What do you mean? You can, I can even hear these kind of scoffers argue today. What do you mean somebody died for your sins? Isn't everybody accountable for their own actions? What do you mean they can be made, they can be redeemed? Haven't they messed up so badly that God wants nothing to do with them? Maybe some of you have heard this, these own scoffings in your own life where people have talked to you about your redemption. What does it mean? How can you be saved? I know you. Maybe some of you may hear this and like, this sounds foolish. So God had a plan from the beginning. He allowed me to feel all these things, but he had a plan from the beginning. <laughs> Said how quickly we can become a scoffer without even realizing it. See, both of us, everyone will respond to the gospel. This story will demand a response. All will respond. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Those who believe are those who respond and say, okay, Lord, your will be done. But then those who reject and deny, God looks at them and say, okay, child, your will be done. That is the two responses you have. I lay before you as, as, as Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. I put before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life. Yet so quickly, many of us will happily run to the curse, to the death. Paul wasn't surprised by the response of these Jewish, these, these, this Jewish crowd, these, these leaders who were filled with jealousy and began to contradict. He wasn't surprised. He boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of the Lord be spoken to you first. Since, you're reject, so since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. I love that statement. He's not saying, I judge you unworthy. He said, no, you judge yourself. You, you understand, anybody who denies the gospel, they aren't the one, you're not judging them because they deny it. They judge themselves. They say they're unworthy of it. They throw their hands up. And God's like, all right. This isn't a judgment statement on them. This is a judgment statement from them, by them. This is why the teaching of hell is actually not problematic at all because nobody, no, God is not putting on anybody hell. They are choosing hell for themselves and choosing condemnation for themselves. That's why the teaching of hell is actually not that problematic. For anybody who says, how could God be so unloving? Actually, he's so loving that he said, come, don't accept that. And they was like, I want it. Okay. That's actually a love that would let them go over to their own demeans. So Paul wasn't, he wasn't surprised by their response. But he said, this actually was also a part of God's plan, for this is what the Lord God has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. By their rejection, these people accepted, and they had the proper response when they heard this good news taught. Listen what they did from verse 48 through uh, 50. 
It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Do you understand when the gospel came into their lives, when they experienced this story taking place and now they are part of the story, they were so excited they had to go tell everybody about it. Uh, there's this movie I really love called Old Brother Where Art Thou? Uh, one of my favorite movies. It's a song in there called Man of Constant Sorrows. Well, after the man leave, after they're about to leave the studio from singing this song, um, Bill, one of the guys, was given $10. And he was so excited about that $10. When he walked out the door, he saw the mayor coming up. And he said, hey, man, if you go in there and sing, they'll give you $10. He was so excited because that $10 was so rich to him that he couldn't help but tell somebody, the first person he saw. That's how the gospel should be in our lives. That's how it should be in our lives. That as soon as we realize what we are now a part of and what we get to experience, that we have been fully put on display before him, we should run and tell everybody. See, when our story changes and we, our story is invaded by his story, then when we leave this place, we want other stories to experience his story and become a part of the grand story. That is the kingdom of God on display. These living stones being made life. But the Jews, verse 50, they incited prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the district. See, the gospel itself is both a building block and a stumbling block. It is both the thing that will build up many, those who accept and, and, and want it, and those who reject it are unbelieving. First Peter said his best. He says, First Peter chapter 2, verse 3 through 9, he says, If you have tasted that the Lord is good... As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honorable cornerstone, and the one who believes in me will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. He's saying those who accept this building bone and they step up and they are now their life is being built by it, they will receive honor and honor will come to them who believe. They'll never be put to shame. But then it's those who reject it. Those, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, those who think the gospel, the preaching of the gospel is foolish because they're perishing. It says, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. Peter was saying, this stone that builds up some is also the stone that would destroy many. This stone that many receive and they rejoice over is also the stone that many scoff and hate and will be crushed by one day. Where are you with this stone? Are you the one who hears the story, want nothing to do with the story, run away from the story and say, mm, that's foolish, knowing that this story one day will have a greater impact on you than you could ever believe? 
Are you one who hears the story, rejoices, be built up? One who becomes a part of his great people, as it says in 1 Peter, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, may, so that they may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Are you one of them? Now hear the story, and your first response is, yes, I want to be a part of the story. Invade my life. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I want this. See, Paul experienced both. Those who rejoiced, those who hated, and they literally were ran out of town by the ones who hated. But as we end, we see in verse 51 and 52 how they responded to those who hated. They didn't say, man, my story is so hard. Man, why do the people reject me? No, they found their fullness and the one who had the story from the beginning, the one who had a plan for them since the beginning. In first 51 through 52, it says, But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off of their feet against them and went to Iconum. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. For you who experiences this king and you accept his plans, you will, when you accept his plan story, you will receive his spirit and joy. You will be filled with the spirit and joy and all the tragedies that come against you will not be greater than the joy you experience in him. <laughs> For the believer, this is as bad as it gets. I've said this before. This is as bad as it gets. It gets we go up from him. For those who reject, though, this is as good as it gets. This broken evil world is as good as it gets for one day they will be separated from the one who truly brings goodness. Where are you today? Do you hear the story and like, no, I want my life to be a part of that story. If that is you, I want to let you know, praise God, you should leave this place rejoicing of this great story you've heard today and tell others how they could be welcomed in to be a part of this eternal story. For you today who might say, no, nah, I reject this. I don't want nothing to do with this. I'm not that bad. I tell you, like I said, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. For the one who truly brings life is the one who came into this dark world, came from eternity. He came from perfection itself, and he came and lived a holy life that you and I could not live. This is the Jesus day of professing that unrightfully was put on a, on, a, on, a, on a cross. He was unrightfully killed. But through his death, our sins have been paid for. It might have been our hands that put him on the cross, but it was God's hands that kept him there for our sake. And while he was up there taking shame, he also was taking on our shame. He was taking on the tragedies of our story. He was taking on the sins we've committed in our story. And if we believe that our sins were put on him, then when he came back alive, so do we. And our sins stay dead. Our stories now find its end in him and not in this world. So which story do you want to be a part of? Your story that's going nowhere alone or part of his eternal story that has an eternal end. Will you pray with me? 
Father, our stories have no purpose outside of your story. For your story alone is a story that tells of glory, that tells of grace, that gives us purpose. Father, today we pray that we would be a people who run after you, that we would be a people transformed by the story you have set forth since the very beginning. And your triune nature, that you have been the king and your son and the spirit have all been together telling, planning this story out since the beginning. How we would reject you, yet you would send a means for us to come back to you and be marked by you and through your spirit. Father, I pray that we be a people of the story. We be a people whose life has been invaded by your glory. That we receive, we respond, and that we leave this place overwhelmed to rejoice and tell others about it. For those who may not know you yet, who may not be a part of your story yet, Father, I pray that you are drawing them to yourself. That while they are here, they still have time before the day where great judgment comes. So Lord, we lift our lives up to you, our stories up to you to be fulfilled in you. We say all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and continue to worship with us?